Right, so reading from Genesis 1, verses 26 to the end of the chapter. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. That's the word of the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your written word. And we thank you that in it we, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see and we experience your living word, Jesus. Father, as we reflect on these words this morning, the beginning of your story, the beginning of our story as humanity, Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would show us who we are in light of what you have done. And that the good news of Jesus would become more real to us, that we would grasp it more fully today. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Amen. So we are in our sixth week of a series called, yeah, yep, uh, yep, it's on the screen, The Ripple Effect, uh, looking at how the work of Christ in our lives can ripple out into the lives of others. So that happens as we share the gospel, as we share the good news of Jesus uh, and pass that on to others. We exist as a church, or say our, our mission as a church is not to be disciples who just wait patiently for heaven. Our, our mission is to be disciples who go out and make disciples, who go out and make disciples. And, and this series is all about uh, not just the sermon series, but the small group studies. And some of you have been to the, the opening workshop uh, and we'll do another one in May. This is all about how do we practically do this? How do we make disciples who make disciples? It's not, we don't just, uh, we're not just born or become Christians and automatically know how. There's so many biblical principles to learn. I love what my uh, friend Pastor Benny Ho from uh, Faith Community Church just up the road, he says this about a disciple-making mindset uh, or a disciple-making lifestyle, that it requires four things that the Bible uh, lays out for us. In our interactions with people far from God, there's, there's four things. We pray, uh, sorry, pray faithfully. That's the starting point. Pray faithfully. Connect relationally. 
love practically, and then we earn the right to share boldly. Pray faithfully, connect relationally, love practically, and then earn the right to share boldly. And we've been talking about some of those things in in recent weeks with the different people who have been preaching, the the centrality of prayer. Certainly the last couple of weeks have been a lot more on relationship and investing in the relationship. Um, And so I I wonder, just before we keep moving, uh, just on the prayer thing, how are you going with praying for a couple of friends who don't know the Lord, who are outside the church? Have you gotten into a rhythm of praying for their salvation every day? I'm not going to ask for hands raised, but if you have, if, if that's become or always was, or you're continuing to make it part of your, your rhythm, keep it up. Don't, don't get discouraged if you don't see any fruit just yet. Keep it up. Keep praying for them each day. If that's not where you're at, if we could just have that down a little bit, Glenn. Uh, if that's not where you're at, um, I, wanna, I want you to take a second before we go on this morning to take a few seconds right now. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, who is one friend you could pray for each and every day? Close your eyes if you need to. God, who is one friend I can pray for each day who doesn't know you? And if someone comes to mind, I want to encourage you now or uh, whenever you get a chance to put a daily reminder in your phone, to text a friend who will remind you, keep you accountable if you want. Um, But also, uh, as I was on my prayer walk this morning and and thinking about this, um, I had a sense that for some of you there may have been a a name that came to mind, but you quickly pushed it out because it's a little bit of a painful one because it's not a friend, it's a family member that many of us have a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a sibling uh, who doesn't know Jesus, and, but, it's, but it's, a, it's a bit more of a painful thing to be praying for them. I want to encourage you, whatever disappointment there's been in that space, pray for them. Make them that one person or one of a few people to pray for each and every day. Uh, if we don't prioritise this, this one thing, and I mean when I say this, the rest of this sermon series and the Bible studies and the workshops we're doing is a waste of time. If you are kind of like, you know what, I'm not going to do that, Luke. I just am not going to do it. I highly recommend you go to the beach (laughs) instead of doing the Bible studies or, I mean, not that it's a great day for the beach, but um, this this is the most important thing almost to be praying. And so let's pray now. Father, I want to pray that those names that just came to mind, you would give us a resolve in our gut and and in our spirit to every single day to lift them before you and to know, Lord, there's nothing that we can do to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. But God, we can bring them before you because you can do anything, God. You can change a life. And we know, God, that it's your heart. And so when we pray this, we align ourselves with your heart. And I pray that you would give us a resolve to pray for them. I pray for those names that came to mind right now, that, Jesus, you would draw them to yourself, that you would give us boldness and sensitivity in how to give an answer for our faith when we interact with them, that you would lead them to know life, eternal life, abundant life in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
up until this point, we've covered some basics uh, with some under, underpinning principles about you know, prayer and then conversation, talked a little bit about testimony. Um, we're going to move now into a four-week chunk of this series, kind of a series within a series, uh, and this is going to include the Easter weekend, basically focusing on understanding and communicating the gospel. Really, really important stuff, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Something that has um, really saddened me, I would say even grieved me in recent years, is that I see many, many churches, particularly but not exclusively in our denomination, who refer to the gospel and talk about the gospel. And by the way, gospel, if that's not familiar language to you, that just means good news. Evangelion is the great good news gospel, same thing. So these churches refer to the gospel, talk about the good news. Yes, the gospel, the good news. And they seem to think it's really important. Yes, the gospel is central. The good news is central to the life of the church. But it's clear that what they mean by the gospel is not what Jesus, the Bible, and the church for most of 2,000 years has meant when it talks about the gospel. It's some other version of what it really is. And I think that's so sad because, firstly, the gospel's not that complicated. The gospel isn't lot too lofty or unreachable or, or, or sort of in need of changing and, and perfecting or simplifying somehow. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is simple and beautiful, and it's, it's perfect in every way. But secondly... I think it's sad when, when anyone goes, well, let's, let's focus on a different kind of good news because the, the true gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. It, the gospel transforms lives is another way of saying that. It completely transforms lives and communities and churches and neighborhoods. The gospel is powerful and it's... it's uh, I remember the first time that I really grasped it, when I, I, I understood and I grasped it and received the good news of Jesus. Um, I was at a youth camp and singing a song uh, in the worship time uh, where the words I was singing described what Jesus had done for me, described the gospel. And, and for the first time, I grasped it. And, and I received it, and it was like, I don't know how to describe it, but it was something like a massive tank of liquid love just washed over me, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept, and I was never the same again. That's what the gospel does. But at that time, when I grasped the gospel, I, I, well, I understood it at a heart level, and I went, I, I've received, I, I understand the gospel now, I received what Jesus has done for me. I didn't yet know how to communicate it. I got it in here, but how the Bible communicated it and how I would share it with someone else, I, I, I didn't get that yet. Someone who's different to me, someone whose personality was different, who's had different life experiences. And that's what these four weeks are about. That's what today and the next three Sundays and Good Friday are about, to help us grasp the good news of Jesus in such a way that we can communicate what we know to be true in here, if we're a follower of Jesus. Is that clear? That's where we're going. That's what we're doing. What the gospel is really about 
is God's story and our story and how those connect. The Bible unpacks God's story, salvation history, some would say. Uh, And as we read the Bible and as we meditate on the Bible, we begin to see how God's story from Genesis to Revelation connects with our story. There's four major stages in God's story. From the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation chapter 22, there's four chapters, there's four phases, if you like. Another way of putting that then is that there are four major themes of the gospel. There are four major themes of the good news because there's four parts of God's story. There's four things that together form the good news. And those, those parts of God's story, those themes are creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. Some of you will be very familiar with this. You understand what, what, where, where we're going with this. Uh, some of you go, oh, okay, I'd never heard this before. These themes, these parts of God's story, each one of them affects our story in a unique way. Let me do a quick overview of the four stages, creation, fall, redemption, recreation in God's story. God created the universe, everything in it, including human beings, and it was all perfect, and we were made for unhindered, everlasting relationship with God. We had true life with God, without pain, without suffering. He created us out of love, right? First theme, first part of the story. Second part, we chose to live apart from God. We chose to live apart from his perfect plan for us. We rebelled and sin entered the world. It ruined creation. It broke the relationship we had with our loving creator and it ultimately resulted in death, physical death, spiritual death, even environmental death. We call this the fall. We fell from that relationship with God. But then after many different ways to try and restore the relationship with God proved to be insufficient, law, the prophets, the judges, all the stuff in the Old Testament, right? Jesus came to pay the penalty of sin, to restore the broken connection, to put death to death, to bring us new life, reconciling us to God, redeemed us, right? He did this by his death on the cross and his rising from the dead. And if you hadn't worked it out, we'll be covering that one on Easter weekend. And finally, fourth theme, God is creating, recreating everything to restore it back to the way it was, but also different. Not just a garden, but a city, a new city, a new world, a new creation with his people for all of eternity. And so these are the four themes of the gospel, the four parts of God's story, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Note this uh, very important point. If any one of them is missing, do you have the gospel? No. If, if we say, you know what, it all started as horrible chaos and brokenness and sin, then what is God going to recreate everything to? The the gospel has to start with God made everything good and he created us out of love. If uh, if then there is no fall, no brokenness, no sin, there's just a few mishaps, things just went a little bit wrong, uh, then do we really need redemption? We might as well just keep recreating whatever God created. Without fall, there's there's no good news. If there's no redemption... 
okay, God might be recreating things, but, he, but if there's no redemption, we're stuck in our sin and our brokenness, and whatever the new world ahead is, do we really want to be part of it? Is it really that good? And finally, if we're redeemed, if the first three exist but we're, and we're redeemed by Jesus' blood, but the world's just not going to change, oh, where's our hope? Is it ever going to get better than this? And so this is what we're, where we're going over the next four weeks. Creation today, the others in the coming three weeks. Let's look today at creation and how this part of God's story connects with ours. Creation is where God's story begins. Identity is how it connects with our story, what it means for our story. God created us out of love, and that has an impact. So here's the sermon in a nutshell, right? You can leave after this point if you want. Here's the sermon in a nutshell. Because God created us for a relationship with him, our identity doesn't have to be defined by us. Our identity doesn't have to be defined by others or what we do or what we didn't do, what we should do. Our identity can be defined by our loving creator. Our identity can and must be, should be defined by our loving creator God. All right, that's it in a nutshell. We ought to ask this question, what does God say about our identity? Maybe a more important question before we get to what does God say about our identity is what do we say about our identity? What do you say about your identity? What do you say in your internal dialogue about who you really are? Because identity determines everything. Identity shapes how we feel and what we do. It determines what we value. Uh, one way of thinking about our identity and what we value and our, our, you know, our security is, let's say your house was burning down. I hope that doesn't happen to you, but let's say your house was burning down. What one item, if you had the chance to grab one item most precious to you, would you get, would you get before you ran out of the house? What that would be would say something about your identity, what you value and treasure, what, what brings you purpose and meaning, right? So what would you grab? Think about that. What would you grab if you had to run out of a burning, your burning house? Maybe it would be um, a marriage certificate. Maybe it would be a, um, something that your child drew for you at a particularly hard time and it meant a lot for you. Maybe it would be your, um, your favourite cooking pot. <laughs> Who knows? Could be a whole range of things. I, I think uh, I'd probably grab my iPad. Now, before you judge me... <laughs> Not because I can watch Netflix on it and um, check social media, uh, but because on this iPad, on a note-taking app that I have, uh, I've journaled prayers and reflections and, and insights from some of my most precious times with my Heavenly Father, things that are so deeply personal and words that were written in the midst of tears. And so uh, uh, this, this kind of symbolizes something really, really, really precious to me. Um, ironically, I wouldn't need the iPad because all those journal entries are on the cloud, but that's beside the point, right? A journal, you know, what would it be? What does that say about your identity? We, um, we find our identity, where we find our identity can be an incredibly powerful thing. Oh, sorry about my daughter back there <laughs> and the crying. 
Where we find our identity can be an incredibly powerful thing. That can be in a positive way or a negative way, right? Let me give you an example of how identity can, can have a, a hugely negative effect. Uh, um, a, a friend of mine who's a pastor, I was talking to him recently, and I won't mention him or the name of the church or anything, but someone in his congregation uh, who had been serving in a particular way for a long time um, was, let's just say, not that good at what they were serving in, right? And everybody can sort of see it. And so eventually, uh, a friend of mine and some leaders said, look, we want to take you off the roster for that particular area of serving. Unfortunately, all hell broke loose because that particular person felt, but I'm, if I'm not doing this, I'm not valued anymore. How could you take that away from me? That's an example of how identity can be an incredibly powerful thing in a negative sense. My identity comes from what I do. And if I don't do this, if I can't do this, then who am I anymore? And the reaction to that can be damaging to ourselves and damaging to others. Identity can be an incredibly powerful thing. On the other hand, our identity can be a powerful thing in a really positive way. And, of course, the prime example of this is Jesus. No one has faced more betrayal and abuse and misunderstanding and pain than Jesus. And yet on the cross, he oozed love and compassion and selflessness. And he was nailed to a cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He he cared about his mother being looked after and said to his friend, treat her as a mother now rather than just kind of uh, focusing on the pain he was feeling. Because all of that stuff that he faced didn't rob him of one very special truth, that God had said over his life, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That identity that Jesus had from God was powerful enough to help him endure the most horrific of circumstances. That's how powerful identity can be in a positive way. When we have our identity from the God who loves us. Let me ask you though, with regards to Jesus and those significant words spoken over him at his baptism... For those who aren't familiar with the story, um, Jesus is he's baptized and the dove the, uh, representing the spirit comes down and the voice of, of God the Father speaks audibly, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased um, in, in front of everyone else. Significant words. But let me ask you, what was really significant about those words spoken over Jesus? Any thoughts? That God said, this is my son whom I love. I'm pleased with him. Of course, the words themselves are significant, that Jesus could hold on to that. But here's what I think is really significant about those words. When they were spoken. When were they spoken? Had Jesus done anything? No. In relation to his ministry, 
his calling, his purpose, who Jesus, who we know Jesus to be, saviour of the world, Messiah, teacher, disciple maker, healer. He'd done nothing, not a single thing to prove to God he was valuable or could be called God's son. He had done nothing. And yet at that point, God says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, just because. That's the power of God's story being the one who created us out of love and then gives us our identity as human beings at that point. We hadn't done anything. We haven't done anything. He simply calls us loved, child, beloved, just because. Where do you get your identity from? It's meant to come from the beginning of the story God has written. Created me out of love. He created you out of love. He calls us valuable because you're his precious creation, his child. This gives us the identity we need. Not, I did this, so he loves me. I'm good at this, so I'm worthy enough to belong to him. I'm skilled, I'm talented, I'm whatever, I'm committed just because you're precious to him. If we were to look at the connection between creation and identity a bit more in today's passage, uh, I think there should be a few uh, bits that come up on the screen. Here's a few highlights from, um, from, from that chapter or that portion of the chapter we read. What we learn is that we're made in God's image. And that carries the, the concept of being privileged and honoured. It means there's a difference between us and the rest of creation. It means we're actually like God in a unique kind of way, a special identity. Secondly, we have a purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule over the rest of creation, God said to the, human, the first humans. We're not like wood carvings that God created and then put up on a shelf, right? He's given us a special job. He trusts us with this unique responsibility. We're partners with him in creating and enjoying the creation. It's a very special and unique identity. He blesses us and provides for us. I give you every one of these animals. They will be yours. This is what a parent does for a child he or she loves. Nothing is off limits. It's also covenant language, right? Like a marriage. Uh, Karen likes to say to, to me, um, what's mine is yours and, no, sorry, what, what's yours is mine and what's mine is ours. Very cheeky. <laughs> right? It, this, is, this is what a covenant is. God's saying to us, what's mine belongs to you. That's how precious you are to me. Everything I have is yours. What an incredible identity we have in the eyes of God. And so creation, the beginning of God's grand story, and the first theme of this gospel message is crucial because without it, who are we? Who am I? Who are you? And that question is probably the primary question being asked by people in the world, maybe especially the younger generations, in a world that's constantly promoting the narrative of find your true self. Find who you are within. You don't find who you are within. The problem is that there's only one place any human being finds the answer to their true identity, and it's not from inside us. It's from the God who created us. But we search other places anyway. We go to stuff, and identity is not there, the identity we're looking for. 
We go to work, and it's not there. We go to lovers, and it's not there. We go to religion, and it's not there. But the gospel has the answer to the question of who are you? You're a beloved child of God, the God who created everything. You're precious, you're valuable, you have a purpose, and you have a reason for life. And he says, it is very good. And so... Let me pause for a second and just say that if you're here this morning, if you're watching online and you didn't know this, or if you'd forgotten this, or you just needed to hear this today afresh, just come back to God, the one who created you and loves you. You matter to him. You are loved by him. It's who you are. And we're not going to go forward and unpack fall and redemption and recreation today. But to cut a long story short, the separation from God that you experience because of your sin is dealt with by Jesus. And you can ask him to forgive you and bring you back to the Father, and he will. It's as simple as that. That's the good news. Creation shapes our identity. What does this mean then, just to finish off this morning, for us as disciple makers? So this is about going, well, how do we... Be equipped with the gospel to go out and let that ripple out from our lives. Go and make disciples who make disciples. There's some principles in Genesis 1 that are so important. We firstly treat all people as image bearers of God. Amen? We treat others as, as equals, no better or worse than us. People with the same worth and value and dignity as God has given us. That gets us a long way and is often what earns us the right to speak into someone's life and then share our testimony. The way, you know, it's that connecting relationally and loving practically as one who is also precious. The way we treat others reflects what we think about God. The way we treat others reflects what we think about God. The world, the way we, that we are entrusted with the care of creation. We know it's broken, but there's still beauty in it, and we're meant to bring that out all the more, to look after it. Uh, we, we work with each other. This whole creation narrative says it's not just about individuals doing their own thing with God, but we're meant to be fruitful and multiply. We can only be fruitful and multiply together, literally, but it's not just about the marriage Relationship, we're most fruitful in every sense in partnership with each other. All of this helps us live out those three principles of disciple making I mentioned earlier. Reaching, uh, to reach people far from God, we pray faithfully, uphold, like I said before, uphold other image bearers of God. Connect relationally, do life together with others. Love practically, extending God's love to others, not just within the church, but all of those, even maybe more importantly, outside the church. But then this praying faithfully, connecting relationally, loving practically, gives us an opportunity, gives us the opportunity to share boldly, to share boldly, to share the message of the gospel. And, and these four weeks focused on God's story and our story are important for this reason because there's something we can do in the sharing, in the conversation. Everyone has a story and in conversation we can connect their story with God's story. Does that make sense? Everyone has a story. They find their, their identity, for example, in something. How do we help them connect it to the identity they have because God created them? They have brokenness. We'll do this next week. How do we help them see this is because of the fall? 
we can connect someone's story to God's story. And how do we do that? Well, that's what you're going to do in session three of your small groups um, for those of you who are doing those studies. But hear me, let, let me give you one, one very practical, very simple takeaway this morning that I want to encourage you with, and I'm going to keep coming back to this over the next few weeks. One way we can help someone to hear the gospel or grasp the gospel, and that is to offer to pray for them. And what I mean by that is not, um, hey, so-and-so, uh, in my private prayer time, I, I, I'm praying for you, right? Do that, of course. But I want to challenge us, and I'm challenging myself in this, that in our interactions with people who are far from God, to offer prayer in person, there and then. Hey, Dean, um, thanks for sharing that with me. Can I pray for you? Oh, yeah, sure, Luke. God, I just pray that Dean would da-da-da-da-da. This is a powerful, powerful tool that we have. Um, I was on a drive uh, between Melbourne Airport and the place I was staying in Melbourne, and all the way there I was having this conversation about faith with my Uber driver. Uh, the conversation started with, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I think he thought I said plasterer. Um, <laughs> So no, no, Christian, you know, Christian minister. And he goes, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Um, Orthodox or Catholic? So, um, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, he was from uh, Somalia. He was a Muslim. We had a conversation about faith. But all the way there, uh, we were having conversation about faith. But I, I, in my own strength, uh, and it was, I was really tired, long flight and everything. In my own strength, I was like, I don't know what to say here, God, just to plant a seed in his life. I realized later, all I needed to do is go, is there anything I can pray for you? Because that is one of the most powerful tools we have. It's not a tool. It's a relationship we have with God. And when we pray, we can seriously bless someone. I want to encourage you, whether it's the person who serves you at a cafe, you go, hey, thanks for serving me. Is there anything I can pray for you? Whether it's a friend who's sharing something with you, a struggle or even a joy, um, and you say, hey, could I pray for you for that thing? Um, and uh, I think a, a tip that James gave, now that I think about it, was do it with your eyes open. Jesus, I just want to pray for you. Know, that'll weird them out. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe they expect you to put you out. Do, do it however you want. But I want to challenge us with this, to use this as an opportunity, this opportunity to, wherever someone's at in their story, to say, hey, can I pray for you? And it might be that they say something about their identity. I can't believe that she walked out on me. I, I just am so glad that he survived. I don't know what I would have done without him. I, you know, whatever the narrative is that they are sharing with you, these things say something about a person's identity. The opportunity we have is to pray a simple prayer, something along the lines of, God, I thank you that this person is a beloved uh, human being, <laughs> Uh, somebody who you love God and you created. I pray that you would dot, 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 help them in the situation. Something about the truth of the gospel. So can, we leave, can I leave that challenge with you? Um, I'm not expecting us all to uh, step in and accept that in the next seven days, but to start to be on the lookout. Maybe it's with a Christian to begin with, somebody in your home, somebody you interact with regularly, but to move closer and closer to the point where we'd be willing to pray for somebody in our life or someone we come across.
who doesn't know the Lord. Father, I thank you that the gospel is incredibly, incredibly good news. I thank you, God, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to transform lives and communities. Lord, I thank you that uh, we have received the gospel in our hearts, those of us who uh, have, have chosen to follow you. Um, but, Lord, we don't always know how to communicate it. I pray, God, that as we interact with people, you would show us how to share, whether in praying for someone or in talking with them, how to share the good news of the gospel, that you created them out of love and abundance of love, and you call them precious. In Jesus' name.